Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Pash, ESPN and Arizona Cardinals announcer. The preseason is upon us. Finally, we get to see a game, the Cardinals and Bengals, this Friday night. And we talked this week with one of the coaches for the Arizona Cardinals, Jeff Rogers. Jeff's in his fifth year on the staff. He is the special teams coach, but he's also the assistant head coach. He's in his fourth year with that title. He was here in 2018 with Steve Wilkes, retained by Cliff Kingsbury and his staff. And Jeff, who has been in the NFL for 15 years, has become a very valuable voice on game day, during the week, in training camp when it comes to shaping the roster. And it will be great to catch up with Jeff and talk about his game day responsibilities, as well as what goes in to being a great special teams player. Who've been some of the special teams finds? What's it like to deal with kickers? And who are some of the young guys that he's got his eye on going into preseason game number one? There's some guys that ha- that are undrafted right now, or were undrafted in the spring, who I think have a chance. But uh, I'm anxious to see them against NFL competition and see what happens. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Hotels and Casinos. Get ready for a football season like never before with BetMGM, an official partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Sign up today using code CARDS1000 and get your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 and over, Arizona only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. All right, time now for our conversation with assistant head coach and coordinator of special teams, Jeff Rogers. So, Jeff, you're not just the special teams coach. This is your fourth year as the assistant head coach. So for people out there that maybe know what a special teams coach does, but they hear that assistant head coach title a lot of times and they maybe don't know all that goes into that, Tell the listeners kind of what your responsibilities are on game day besides special teams. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'd say is, you know, everybody with that title, not sure exactly what they do. I know what I do, but I, I w- I'm not saying that what I'm about to say applies to everybody. Sure. That second title, whatever. But, um, you know, some of the things that I'm involved with is, is primarily the game management stuff when to call a timeout, should we clock the ball? You know, there, there's a lot of discussions that go through in, you know, go throughout the week. And we talk about field position wise, we want to be aggressive in this situation, go for it on fourth down, want to be aggressive in the red area. Um, so a lot of those decisions are discussed throughout the week, but as it unfolds on game day, you never know, are you going to have two timeouts, three timeouts defensively? Maybe we're, we're, we're down and we got to be, you know, banging timeouts uh, and, and just, lending uh, uh, an extra voice to Cliff so he can really crystallize those decisions. So are you standing next to Cliff? If it's two minutes to go in the first half, are you standing next to Cliff? Is it just on headset where you're saying, hey, let's think here about, hey, you got two timeouts left. Here's the time and score clock situation, down and distance, all that stuff. You might want to think about using a timeout here. How does that kind of play out? Right. I mean, I'd say both. I mean, both connected via the headset and – uh, standing next to him, obviously, if there's a break in the action, um, you know, I just always feel like he's got to call the game. He's got to make sure he's in the right play, personnel group, whatever. I'm kind of waiting for him to uh, do those things. And if there's a, a reminder, of maybe something we talked about throughout the week or, um, 
you know, what we're likely to do after this particular play. It's just putting that voice in his ear so he can make a, a the most educated decision. So for you, Jeff, when did your knowledge – because I've had other people tell me no one knows the rules like Jeff Rogers. Okay. <laughs> like when did you embrace – going beyond coaching special teams in terms of just understanding everything about the game, the rules, the timeout situation, uh, replay, all that stuff. Is that something that you've always done or is that recent? I've always been interested in those kinds of things. Um, I've been around football my entire life. My dad coached and you kind of start thinking like a coach at an early age because you're hearing after the game what he might have thought of different situations. The rules are different from college to the NFL, and I thought it was important for me to understand when I first got in the league what the the differences were. Uh, as time goes on, you kind of get to know the everyday things, what you can and cannot do, what, what they're going to call flag-wise, and uh, it kind of started evol- evolving into the clock things, into the timeout things, and really when um, – it's probably when I got to Denver in 2011 about – 10, 11 years ago, where that I started, I was with Coach Fox at the time, John Fox, and at, at that time I kind of started to be involved in those kinds of uh, that line of thinking. And when Peyton Manning signed with us in 2012, hearing his thoughts on different things, and I just really got interested in it and uh, have stayed that way. And then the Cleveland game last year, Cliff isn't there, obviously, because of COVID. So your role changes. What was that game like? And what were your responsibilities in that game that would be additional to what it would be in a normal Sunday? Yeah, so, I mean, basically, you know, in that game, that whole situation was a little bit unique. You know, we found out on Friday evening, it was kind of at the end of the day, and uh, found out what the situation was. And when they said they wanted me to handle the game, the game management part of it, uh, direct responsibilities, now I, instead of being the guy who says, hey, we may think about calling a timeout, like that's that's my decision mm-hmm. uh, at that point, or go for it on fourth down, those are my decisions. But, uh, you know, I alluded to it earlier. We talk about this stuff starting Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and as things unfold, we kind of have the plan. So in that particular game, I really just tried to call it as Cliff and I had talked about things, how we'd talked about going into the game, what we wanted to do, and it was basically like wearing the wristband on your, you know, on your hand. What would Cliff do here, you know, and 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 trying because those are the things. If if he's the head coach and he's the one that makes those decisions, those decisions need to be reflective of of what he would do. Of all the great wins last year, that was my favorite that game because Cleveland was a pretty good team, and obviously with. Cliff out, and there were others that weren't there because of COVID. You know, for most of us that maybe aren't as connected to what's going on inside the locker room and inside the meeting rooms every day, it felt like the operation didn't skip a beat. That was an impressive game for you and Vance, Spencer Whipple, just to kind of step in. At least from our standpoint, it seemed like you guys were stepping in, but listening to you talk here, it doesn't sound like that was the case. Sounds like this was part of the planning that goes into a game. Yeah, you just you kind of just follow the plan, stick to stick to what we had talked about. Um, you know, that, it was one of those situations because even game day morning, there's still guys testing positive and being pulled from it. So you had really no idea until the ball was kicked off, okay, this is who we got. This is the plan. We just need to go execute it. And I think everybody just put 
egos aside and whatever your responsibility is, whatever it had been, whatever it's about to do now, um, whatever, you know, our responsibilities are now, whether increased, decreased or changed completely, um, you know, it was just about execution. We talked to our players about that stuff all the time. So as coaches, obviously that was uh, something that, that was important to us. The, the game day stuff I felt like went well. Um, you know, there was, there, there's also guys in the box who are helping us out with situational stuff and field position. And, um, but yeah, everybody just kind of pitched in and said, let's go do this. Your other job being in charge of special teams this time of year, everybody wants to talk to you because everybody knows, especially for a team that's coming off making the playoffs that, you know, a lot of guys at the back end of the roster, whether they make the final 53 is comes you know comes down to whether they can play special teams or not. How involved are you? Is it daily? Is it weekly? Is it towards the end when you got to start making cuts that you're having conversations with Cliff or with Steve Kime and others in the personnel department about, hey, this is somebody we really need to think about because they can be very valuable to us on special teams. Yeah, I would say starting from – when the when the smoke clears with the draft, free agency is already over. You kind of have the bulk of your team. Uh, there still may be one or two signings that happen in the summer or whatever, but you have the bulk of your team. So it's 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 a constant evaluation. There are constant communication. Um, I talk about roster stuff every day with somebody. Uh, I try to talk to the position coach, try and talk to the coordinators because it's not just going to come down to the kicking game, but you know, the guys that are going to be up on game day, what's their role? And at this point in training camp, it's probably too early. You never know who's going to get hurt. You never know what situation may come up. Another player, you know, may trade for a guy, you know, something like that. So you're, you're kind of trying to figure this out and um, and you let it play out. After the second preseason game, it kind of starts to come in focus. And going in that third preseason game, you usually know these are the position battles, okay, and – when you're the special teams coach, you have to have a broad perspective because you know, hey, are we going to keep three running backs or four running backs or five running backs? Well, if you keep five running backs, that number is coming from somewhere. So are we taking one less safety? Are we taking one less D lineman? Uh, and, and it may not just be on that side of the ball. And then injuries are always going to play into it. So it's really early right now. But as time goes on, we'll continue to have those conversations we have weekly meetings with the, with everybody, with coaches, with personnel, and kind of talk through things so everybody can kind of get on the same page, at least with what the evaluations are. And when we get towards the end of camp, it's, all right, we know about this guy, probably not rep him as much. These are the two guys we need to see. Let's feed him and, and play him a bunch and see what happens. Do you have anybody, I'm sure you do, I don't know if off the top of your head, that you can think of of a guy that like you fought for at some point in your career that turned out to be like a home run. You fought for this guy. He ended up making the roster and turned out to be a great special teams player or a great player, period, uh, in your career. Because you've had you know, several stops, Bears, you mentioned Denver, Carolina, San Francisco, mm-hmm. and then now here in Arizona. Yeah, th- there's really two that stand out. Um, most recently uh, in 2018, Zeke Turner, you know, that that was a guy we felt strongly could really make an impact on our team. I watched a lot of his college tape before the draft, knew what kind of player he could be, and, um, you know, it, it was a decision at the, at the end wh- whether he was going to make the team or not. And, um, you know, I'm not the only person that likes Zeke. I don't want to, you know, say I'm solely responsible for that. Um, but 
um, he was a guy that w- we definitely fought for and, and has played. Now he's in a second contract, so that worked out. And then probably the one that stands out the most uh, was Chris Harris, who's a corner in Denver. And uh, we played here in the preseason. You know, when we played Arizona in the preseason, I think he made three tackles in that game. He was our leading tackler in the preseason. And um, that was a decision that got made – you know, at the cut down and, and there was a, a long, I won't get into the discussion, but it was a lengthy discussion between uh, him and another player. And um, thankfully we were able to uh, keep him, played really well for us in the kicking game. And uh, about week five, he started starting on defense and uh, he's had a really good career. Another, well, a couple guys that are current specialists for, for the team you've had a relationship with for a long time, Matt Prater and Andy Lee. When Andy Lee was in San Francisco, my goodness, Wolf and I would be doing the game. We'd be, like, during the commercial, like, man, I can't stand Andy Lee because you guys killed us. Like, every punt was perfect. When we would play you guys when you were in San Francisco, every single time he would pin us inside the 10-yard line. He's been a great punter for a long time. And then Matt Prater, who you with in Denver, right? Yes. And First of all, what's – how do you as a special teams coach handle a kicker? Because obviously everybody says they're different. We see that. We've had a lot of different personalities come through here. And a lot of times we watch on the sideline and nobody's talking to them. How do you handle those conversations? Or do you not have conversations with kickers during games? Yeah, I tr- honestly, I try not to. Um, and, and even, you know, as guys are – when a guy's an established veteran, there are certain parameters that I believe in, common denominators in which – you know, whether it's timing or, you know, performance or whatever, like I have kind of, it really needs to be within these things, but if they've made it to this level and they've had success, I'm not going to try and change them. Um, There's things that we've talked about guys after seasons. This is something you may want to think about it, but at the end of the day, that's their job and that's their career. And I think sometimes as a coach, we can get in our own way and try and change a player to something he's not comfortable doing and his performance is going to suffer uh, from that as well. So um, I, you know, with, with the kickers and the punters, I, and, and you learn, you learn over time, you know, you work with different guys and some things work, some things don't and uh, how to, you know, manage that room and, you know, kind of how they fit in with the team and stuff. Um, you know, th- those things are all changing and all those guys are different. And I don't mean like different in a bad way. They're just yeah. different personalities. They're human. Sure. So um, you try and develop a relationship so that you can be on, you know, the same good ground when stuff does come up. But I try to, you know, as much as I can, let them do their thing. So when it comes down, because Matt last year had a great year and obviously was successful from 50 and beyond, 60 and beyond. Do you have going into the game based on whether it's a home game or – on the road in good weather, on the road in bad weather, kind of in your mind, okay, this is where I'm going to push for Cliff. Hey, we need to kick it here. Or does it also depend on how the game's going? Yeah, I'd say both. I mean, we're not going to ever put Matt on the field where we feel like it's out of his range. Like, hey, he probably can get it there. Like, that's not that, that's not fair to Matt. That's not fair to our team. Um, so I've got, I mean, I've been, I've known Matt for 11 years and uh, kicked for us in Denver and obviously joining the team here. I kind of got an idea of what a skill set is. And in pregame, you know, you're going to kind of gauge those things. It doesn't change all that much, all things equal. Now you go to Denver, sure, altitude, maybe three three to five yards. Um, We're going to Mexico City this year. 
Okay, that's like twice as high as Denver. So um, I was involved in the 05 game there, and probably the highlight of pregame warm-up, the place was going absolutely nuts. I have no idea what's going on. And I turn around, and it's Joe Nedney kicking 75-yard kicks, and I think it was Neil Rackers here at the time doing the same thing the other way, and, and they're loving it, right, because soccer's kind of their deal, at least was at that time. But um, those are the things that can influence, obviously, if the weather changes, that can influence those things as well. And is Matt involved in those conversations? Sure. Um, Matt always wants to kick. I mean, sometimes you got to save him from himself. Like, I, I know I got this or whatever. It's like, Matt, this is an 80-yard kick. You know, <laughs> chill out. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, he, we talk after pregame warm-up, and he'll kind of tell me, uh, you know, what is our normal parameters uh, and then what is the end of half, end of game, like feel like it's going to take a, a really good kick, but uh, I feel like I can get it there from whatever, wherever it is. Jeff, there have been a lot of successful head coaches in college football and in the NFL who have a background coaching special teams at some point. Sure. Uh, I think of Frank Beamer at Virginia Tech, Beamer Ball. Uh, I know Urban Meyer, when he was at Ohio State in Florida, even though he's the head coach, he was heavily involved in special teams. For a lot of those guys, that was their background. Nick Saban, I think mostly defense. He might have been at some point involved in special teams. John Harbaugh has had a great run in Baltimore, and he was a special teams coach before he got that job. So is being a head coach something that interests you, and do you think that special teams coaches will continue to get opportunities to become head coaches? Yeah, I hope they do, and yeah, it's something that interests me, but it's always, you know, be the best at the job that you got, and you, know, you go back to, uh, or I go back to the question you asked me earlier, like what goes into the clock management, the game management, things like that. Um, if you're, if you have aspirations to do those things, it's probably in your best interest not to wait till you have that job before you acquire that knowledge. I, I think there's plenty of guys who, um, the roster management, game management thing, th- those are things that that guys struggle with in their first time in that chair uh, at the NFL level. Um, and, and it's just because that's not something they've been involved in if they were a defensive coordinator or an offensive coordinator. And eventually guys get it, right? I mean, it's not like it's impossible to learn. You don't have to study that stuff for 10 years to uh, to be good at it. But, um, you know, if you're going to be hired for that job, you know, you hope that, that you, got, you have that skill set and uh, you can manage the game accordingly. You mentioned earlier that your dad was a coach. Mm-hmm. And you have two brothers, and one of them is coaching with the Chargers. Yep, he's a D-line coach there. And then your other brother is not coaching? The other brother is not coaching. Uh, the other brother is in real estate in Austin, Texas, having a great time. Uh, plays a lot of golf. Um, but he, he does have a claim to fame, he right? Does, he does. Um, you know, I've told the story a few times. My, my older brother was our quarterback in high school. I went to Westlake High School in Austin. Uh, we've had some good players there. And uh, my older brother was a starter. As a senior, little brother's the JV quarterback. He's the heir apparent. Um, he blew his knee out in the preseason of his sophomore year, and his backup came in. And his backup was named Drew Brees, and Johnny never saw the field again at quarterback <laughs> uh, until Drew got hurt later on. Um, Johnny ended up going to defense but uh, and, and had a good senior year. They won the state championship, so he's got that on me. I never won one, but – uh, yeah, that's kind of the story that comes up when it, when it comes to Drew and Johnny. Do you guys still talk to Drew? Yeah, if I saw him in pregame warm-up, um, you know, we, we would talk, and Drew's a great person, and, you know, 
people ask me, did you know in high school he was going to be a Hall of Famer? N- no. Okay. <laughs> who, who knows that, right? Um, but Drew was really competitive, and he's a good person. He's got a good heart and worked hard. Um, but, but, yeah, my younger brother, Johnny, still keeps in contact with him. He would go to games. We played the Saints uh, a couple years ago, and uh, they were down on the field before the game. Um, and I had to uh, ask Johnny, let me see that hat that you got tucked behind your back. And sure enough, it was the Saints hat. Uh, so he's rooting for the other side, but, um, you know, stuff happens. Before I got this job in 2002, I did one year of preseason uh, for the Buffalo Bills. I, I was doing Syracuse, uh, their radio football and basketball. I went to school there, then went back, and John Butler was the, the GM uh, in Buffalo and gave me a chance uh, to get into the NFL. The late, great John Butler, and I'll never forget the trade that he pulled off. Um trading out of the number one pick, which would have been Michael Vick, and instead ending up with LaDainian Tomlinson and Drew Brees. Sure. And a lot of people said Drew Brees is too short, too small, doesn't have a big enough arm, not going to make it in the NFL. And then you look at what an incredible career Drew had. I wouldn't be shocked. I, I know that he did the broadcast thing last year, and he's not this year. I wouldn't be shocked if he tried to come back. I mean, Tom Brady's just turned 45, sure. still going strong. I, I don't know. I haven't had the, those conversations <laughs> with him. Uh, Drew's certainly competitive enough to pull it off. He just, if he decides to do that, I wouldn't bet against him. Um, but, you know, he's got a, he's got a family now, and uh, I know he loves those kids and loves watching, you know, them run around. And um, t- Time will tell. Time will tell on, on that one. He used to – he started out, obviously, with uh, the Chargers. Um the Cardinals play the Chargers, so that will be the Rogers Bowl. It will be uh, with your the brother Saturday after or the Sunday after Thanksgiving with your brother Jay. So, will you guys talk that week, or do you not talk when you play against each other? Yeah, I mean, Jay and I don't talk on on a daily or weekly basis. We keep in contact, and we talk, you know, every so often. Uh, I would doubt that we'll talk that week until pregame warm up, uh, or maybe the day before. Um, this will be the the. The third time competing against each other as coaches, the fourth time in our lives that we've been on opposing sidelines. So um, I was at Kansas State. He was at Iowa State in 2008. We won. Um, he was with the Bears in 2018 when they came here. They won, so we're one and one. This would be the rubber match. But when uh, when I was seven and Jay was eight, we were on different T-ball all-star, game, all-star teams, and my team beat his. So okay. I still think I'm, I'm up two to one. Okay. <laughs> So he was with the Bears the year after you left the Bears. So yeah, so we worked together. He was in Denver for two years, and then when Foxy got hired in Denver, uh, he, he kept Jay on, so we were together for six years. Then we all, we, we all went to Chicago. So I left after three years. Jay stayed on for three years, and then he went to the Chargers last year. So obviously your, your dad you talked, talked about, and John Fox you mentioned a couple times, what kind of impact did Coach Fox have on you, and who are some of the other coaches that you've worked with and worked for over the years that have influenced you? Yeah, a lot, a lot of guys. Um, you know, my chronologically, um, you know, there, there's stuff that I still remember. There's a guy named Mike Hale who was the coach at LVO, the Eagles, when I was seven years old. You know, you remember some of those things. I wouldn't say that that's, you know, influential or Melvin Jordan in Champaign, Illinois, uh, who coached us for, for a few years. Um, once I got into the ranks, uh, you know, kind of started, you know, coaching myself, uh, John Makovic had an impact on me. Um, 
you know, organizationally and, and, and detail-wise. That was good for me. Larry McDuff is the guy I worked with in Arizona, brought me in the league in San Fran. Uh, there's nobody who's ever been better that I've observed in terms of being detailed off the field presentation-wise. Uh, I had the uh, chance to work with Al Everest uh, for one year, and to this day, Al is the guy who influences more of my on-field coaching drills, uh, things like that. Um, you know, with the head coach stuff, um, Foxy probably influenced me as much as anybody had, but, you know, I worked for him for, for nine years. And um, Cliff reminds me a lot of him because both those guys are really, really good at personal relationships. They Both of them have a, a knack for connecting with guys, um, getting the best out of guys, uh, having good enough relationship where the players can tell them, hey, coach, this is something we may want to think about doing differently, you know, and hearing those guys out. And, um, you know, I would say those two guys probably as much as anybody uh, ha- have influenced me. And it's just different ways to, to do things. Uh, as an assistant, I was fortunate to work with three coordinators. This is, I, I don't know, my sixth or seventh head coach that I've worked for. And you pull things from everybody. You see how things are done. And if you disagree with it, you're like – man, I'm glad I at least saw that because that didn't work at all. And <laughs> so I want to try and avoid that, you know, in, in the future. Um, but, yeah, I mean, all those guys, and then obviously my dad's influenced me a, uh, a heck of a lot, uh, especially growing up. How much does Ron Wolfley talk your ear off about special teams? Do you have to listen to him, oh, Jeff, when I did it, four Pro Bowls. Do you have to sit there and listen to him talk about uh, how special teams should be played and coached? Yeah, or do you just tune him out I, like I do? No, I don't tune him out. Uh, <laughs> Wolf, he's told me some really good stories. And, um, you know, the, obviously Wolf didn't stop playing last year, right? Like, so, so anything that he's talking about right, it's 40 is years. he's yeah, thinking 1980. about. <laughs> I don't think 40 years ago, but, you know, it's been a, been a few years. But, um, you know, I think when you hear guys talk about stuff, 20, 30 years later, they're really impactful uh, and impacted them. So, you know, some of the things that – and he's told me about some of the guys that have coached him. And, um, you know, you just realize that the guys that you're coaching, especially if, if, if they're here for a couple of years or whatever, um, you know, the, the things that you can do or say or, or help them with that might really make an impact on them. For this team, who are some of the young guys – as we get started with the preseason against Cincinnati, who are some of the guys that you really have an eye on and want to see how they do in these games? Yeah, I mean, I think you start with the draft picks and and kind of work from there because it really – there's so much that is going to be influenced on the roster based on how those young players uh, develop. And, you know, obviously when we're evaluating games for the draft, you know, you're doing your homework on those players and you see them play in a variety of different ways and try and project their skill sets. But unless you're coaching a guy and you've been with them in the building, like it's really tough to know personalities, learning style, you know, toughness. Our scouts try to find out all that information. They do a heck of a job. Uh, but at the end of the day, you got to connect with that guy one-on-one. So um, not only how they're doing for me, but are they doing so well on offense or defense that, there's a different player whose role may change and how do they fit in uh, those things. So um, I, I'd say the, the non-offensive linemen draft, uh, drafted players that we took, and, and there's some guys that, ha- that are undrafted right now or were undrafted in the spring who I think have a chance, but uh, I'm anxious to see them against uh, NFL competition and see what happens. 
What about the return position, kick returner? Because right. obviously it's changed now. It's, I assume, still important, but it's not as significant as it was 15 years ago because right. of the way the rules have changed. Yeah. I, uh, it, it's a tough one because, you know, I, I guess I go back to my four years in Denver, and there's always that conversation that comes up, like, we're playing at home. Every ball's going to be a touchback. Why are we even working on this right now? We could be working on something else. Well, with a minute left to go in the game, if there's a 15-yard flag and they're kicking off from the 20, that ball's landing and played. It's probably going to be to our, you know, to our advantage to have worked on something in that situation. Um, they are more infrequent in terms of the returns than what they used to be. But when the ball lands in play, uh, you got to be productive and. You know, we're still working through who that guy is going to be, and some of it's going to shake out. Most of the guys we're working back there are offensive players, running backs and wide receivers. And, um, you know, a year ago, Rondale's role on offense wasn't what it probably will be this year. You know, if he's playing, say, 30 to 50 snaps, some games he was you know, a little over 50%, as much as, you know, 80%, 90%. But he's in a role where he could do both return jobs. Um, that's probably not going to be the case this year, especially early on in the season. Um, so we're still working through who, who's, who's going to be the punt returner and the kick returner. There's a number of guys that may win that job, uh, and hopefully we get some opportunities in the preseason because when it's live, uh, it's different than what it is in practice. How about Eno Benjamin, who returned kicks last year? Do you, yeah. His role is probably going to increase on offense. Right. So does that mean he's not in the mix no, as a return I, I, guy. I think as a guy, if a guy's starting on offense or defense, you really got to think about that. Um, as a running back, specifically uh, in Eno's situation, as things stand right now, um, James is likely to be the starter. He's likely to keep the bulk of the reps. But there were situations last year where it was Chase and James, and they were split in time. So if Eno works himself into that range, uh, maybe we would have to consider that. But uh, Eno's got a really good skill set, and he's matured a ton. Um, since his rookie year and I'm anxious to see what it looks like now because his confidence has grown so much and I think he's embraced that role it's an opportunity for the guy for a playmaker to get the ball in his hands and usually guys like to be in that position last question for me Jeff I'm curious this is something probably you know fans don't think about but what's the hardest adjustment you mentioned you want to see the young guys and how they do what's the hardest adjustment going from college and most of these guys probably don't play a lot of special teams in college um, to now the NFL. What's the hardest thing for them in terms of adjustments to learn? Is it, um, is it the mental side of it? Is it learning to be okay with being a special teams player? Like some guys, you know, maybe look down at that in college and now there's maybe they don't realize that could be their meal ticket. I mean, you mentioned Ezekiel Turner where he is, I mean, Dennis Gardeck got into the NFL probably because he plays special teams. Now he's an impact player on defense. I mean, you mentioned some guys earlier that have started out as special teams players but then end up starting and having great careers. Yeah, well, in terms of player development, I think every organization, if they had to draw it up as best they could, the first year they would be – now everybody wants them to be Hall of Famers, right, in their rookie year. But the reality is – if a player can come in and contribute in the kicking game and get some burn on offense or defense in their second year, they're more of an impactful player on defense. And by the third year, they're starting, right? And then guys that um, – the, but there are guys that can carve out an entire career 
doing just the kicking game, but eventually that's the way you want it to work. You want them, you know, young players, developing players on, in the kicking game. They get better. They get better on their side of the ball. They're making the team and, and making plays on offense or defense, and the next group is coming in, the next wave, and you're just trying to repeat that process, and that balances out your cap and stuff anytime you're not just, you know, paying a lot of money for guys that maybe have limited roles. Uh, I think the biggest challenge for guys coming out yeah, – I do think that there are some guys who have to get over the fact that they're not maybe playing 80 plays in a game, that they're only going to play 20 to 25 covering kicks. Uh, I, do, I do think that have, has an impact, but I also think that between the vets and the head coach and me and Devin Fitzsimmons that they quickly realize that this is important. Like you are not going to dress on game day as a backup unless you're contributing to the kicking game. So they understand that, hey, this is what i got to do right now. Hey, if, if the guy in front of me gets hurt, if I'm a player and the guy in front of me gets hurt and I play outside backer, I can't go in the game if I'm inactive. So I've got a better chance of having a defensive role, obviously, if I'm up on game day. Uh, the biggest challenge for those guys, though, is the mental part of things um, because – it's a job. It's full time. They're no longer going to school. I don't think the you know general public knows how much meeting time that those guys need to sit through. And at sometimes it can be it can be monotonous. And if they're not focused, you know it's tough. And and this generation of, of players that are coming out of college, they've been in a digital world their whole life. It's been iPads, been cell phones. Um, it's you know texting. You know everything is short and quick and. It's hard to keep their focus more than 20, 25 minutes, and it's just the way the world is now. Sure. So uh, as coaches, we got to adopt that or adjust our coaching style to adopt it to those guys and uh, make sure our message is still going through, even though we may have to teach them in a different way. Listen, Jeff, this has been great, man. You're obviously a big part of the organization and wanted to get you on, get the fans a chance to kind of hear more about your story and also how valuable you are to the coaching staff and how involved you are, not just – uh, with special teams, but on game day and decision making and helping Cliff manage the game, and and it was great to chat with you. Appreciate yeah, your time. Appreciate man. It. Yeah, anytime. Really great to catch up with Jeff. You can just hear Jeff's very smart. He knows the game very well, and hopefully, if the Cardinals continue to win, like Vance Joseph, Jeff will get an opportunity to be a head coach in the NFL. Uh, John Harbaugh has been the standard for a special teams coach that's gotten a chance to be a head coach. Hopefully Jeff will get an opportunity at some point because he's very smart and has done a great job with the Cardinal special teams. And as you heard, is very involved during the week with game planning, decision making, when to go for it on fourth down, uh, clock management. He's a very important person on game day and an asset for the Cardinals and for head coach Cliff Kingsbury. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Hotels and Casinos. You can follow us on Twitter, at PashPod, and also go to your podcast platform and rate us. And tell us what you think. If there's a future guest that uh, you want to hear from, whether it's Cardinals-related, NFL-related, or something completely outside the National Football League, we'd love to hear from you and what you think. Thanks again to Jeff Rogers, Cardinals special teams coordinator and assistant head coach. And thanks to you for listening to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast.